The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 196. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. Also go to brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. Give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook read by yours truly. You can support the Brian McClanahan show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll and I do have five courses for purchase there one on the Declaration, one on Secession, one on the War, one on the Constitution, or at least American Constitutions. It's a comprehensive course, and one on Alexander Hamilton and the Supreme Court. So you want to pick those up. They're great gifts for Christmas, also great gifts for yourself. So uh, all of those are available for purchase, and those people that do enroll in McClanahan Academy do get the best deals when new courses come out, and I have plans to have a new one released in the first quarter of 2019. So be looking out for that. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Anything you do donate is appreciated. You can also get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name, Brian McClanahan. And you can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by uh, subscribing to Liberty Classroom through my affiliate link. That is learntruehistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. It's a great web resource. I think the best bang for the buck on the internet. You've got uh, near 30 classes out there now on that. So uh, you can subscribe through my affiliate link and also uh, support the Brian McClanahan Show that way. Okay, all that said, let's talk about the topic for the day, which is something, this is actually a response that I received an email, and I've received this email several times in different ways. But generally the email is this. Dr. McClanahan, love your show, love what you do. I'm interested in your position on or your opinion on this particular argument. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I've produced an entire course on this topic, and it's the war, the, the war for Southern independence, and I deal with this there uh, in a much longer form. But I'm going to talk about this in a succinct episode of the podcast of the Brian McClanahan Show and, and try to hit some of the main points. So the argument is this. Dr. McClanahan, I've heard people say, you know, James McPherson, for example, uh, others, um, that the war, yes, Lincoln did not go to war to free the slaves. The war itself was not about slavery, but no slavery, no war. If the South had not seceded because of slavery, there would not have been a war. So therefore, the war was about slavery. This is essentially the fallback position for people that will concede that Lincoln did not go to war in 1861 to free any slaves. They will concede that, or those that concede that most Union Army soldiers, the vast majority in fact, were not going to war to free any slaves. But they say that this war was entirely caused by slavery because the deep southern states initially seceded because of their fear that slavery would be abolished. Um, And so, therefore, the war was actually about slavery. So I want to deal with this particular argument because I think it's an important one. I think it's one that, and and I've done a whole episode on why slavery, uh, and you can go back and just do a search on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. I believe it's like episode 79, somewhere in there. But why slavery? 
I talk about that particular issue. Why was slavery important? It was an important issue. But the problem with this, and I also did an episode on Occam's razor. It, it gets into that. Well, I mean, it's the simple. That's the easiest. The easiest explanation is always or almost always the correct explanation. The simplest explanation is always the correct explanation. So I want to talk about this in a little bit different context. It is true that Southerners and their secession documents mention slavery, particularly in the deep Southern states. It is true that Southerners were concerned, uh, many Southerners were concerned about the potential impact of a Lincoln administration and a Republican majority, which was not there, by the way, in the Congress, um, uh, in regard to slavery. You have to remember that the Democrats, if the South still stays in the Union, the Democrats control the Congress. So if that's the case, was there really an existential threat to slavery? So let's talk about a couple of ways to deal with this particular issue. Number one, if we're looking at causation of war, for example, and let's take a a 20th century war, and um, we'll look at, say, World War I. Historians are generally in agreement that uh, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand was a major event that led to World War I, in that it was an immediate cause, but it was not the cause of World War I. Uh, So you had this assassination in Sarajevo, then the Austrians mobilized for war against Serbia, which re- incites a response from Russia, which incites a response from Germany, etc. So we all, if, if you study World War I, you understand what, what happens here. Everyone mobilizes for war. But that particular event itself, in a vacuum, wouldn't have caused war. The only reason that it caused war was because of the long-standing conflict that had been brewing in Europe at that point for nearly 100 years beginning with the Napoleonic Wars and then carrying through in the Wars of Unification, and then you get the late 19th century and the buildup and these alliances, the militarization of Europe. All these things have been taking place, and that was a spark. Boom. Didn't mean it caused the war. Didn't mean it was was an immediate event that led to war because of the mobilization for war by, by Austria, and then Russia, and then Germany, and then France. So this is, this is you can't look at that and say, war is all about this assassination. The same thing holds true in the 1860s. There had been long-standing differences between the North and the South. And I say long-standing, I'm talking about nearly 200 years of differences between the North and the South leading into 1861. Lincoln's election allowed for these differences to essentially metastasize, to become too big and they had to be cut out. The South feared what the future looked like for the United States. Now, not in regard to slavery in the South itself. I know that there are secession documents. I know that the declarations of secession or the causes, declaration of causes, for example, I know that in the Deep South in particular, they talk about the potential threat to slavery by a Republican president. This is all true. 
You can go out there and find them yourself. But I will say this. Slavery was never better protected. And this point was made in the Georgia Secession Convention. This point was made by Southerners themselves that stayed in the Congress until their state seceded. Southerners recognized that slavery was protected in the South. Lincoln himself assured the Southern states that slavery would not be hindered, abolished in the states where it already existed. So, for example, slavery was well protected in South Carolina or Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi, or I should say, and all those states. It was well protected in all those states. During the debates over the original 13th Amendment, uh, this issue was actually brought up. Representative Mason from Virginia said, look, this is a stupid amendment. Everyone knows in the South that the institution of slavery is well protected, that it's, that it's not the issue. The issue is the territories. And why would the territories be an issue in 1861, because it was a matter of principle. It was a matter of legal principle. You see, this was a constitutional question. What powers does the general government have? Does it have municipal powers in the territories? What, what do we do with the Supreme Court, which has ruled on the issue? What do we do with this legal situation that we have in the United States? How do we wrestle with this? This was the issue... It was essentially the Constitution, and it was all about power. I've mentioned this several times over. It was about power. So you have this situation where the Republicans propose what was called a bread pill. Hey, look, we'll propose the 13th Amendment, the Corwin Amendment, which Daniel Crofts has, I think, accurately pointed out was actually the Lincoln Amendment. Lincoln was behind this. His fingerprints were all over it, which would have protected slavery in the states where it already existed perpetually, permanently. There would have been no threat to those particular states if they had stayed in the Union in the institution of slavery. It would have continued to exist in those states. If these southern states were so concerned about the issue of slavery and slavery alone, then they would have accepted this particular amendment this bread pill, as they called it, they would have accepted it and said, okay, that's all we're worried about. We're just worried about the issue of slavery in the states. We're worried about our own, our own hearth and home. We're worried about slave insurrection in our states. This is what we're concerned about. We think that if you become president, it's going to destroy slavery in our states. If that's all they were concerned about, they would have taken that amendment and said, here we go. This is what we wanted. We'll stay in the union. But you see, the issues ran deeper than that. In fact, Robert Barnwell Redd of South Carolina, who was a secessionist in the 1830s, if you look at his Declaration of Causes, there were two that came out of South Carolina. He does mention slavery, but he mentions a long-standing problem. He looks at the, at the war or the sectional conflict in the long view, and he says, look, all of these issues, whether it's slavery, whether it's tariffs, whether it's internal improvements, all of these things at their heart, go back to an understanding of the Constitution and the reins of power. You see, that was the issue in 1861. Who was going to control the general government? 
and by control of the general government, who's going to get the spoils? Lincoln could have allowed the state... See, even when you say, well, without slavery, there's no war. No, without Lincoln, there's no war. Because Lincoln could have chosen a different path. He could have said, okay, let the deep south states go, those seven states, because you still had North Carolina and Tennessee and Virginia and Maryland and Delaware and Missouri. Let the deep south states go. And we'll still have a union. We'll still have slave states in the union. William H. Seward was well aware of this. Crofts also wrote a pretty good book entitled Reluctant Confederates, where he gets into these upper south unionists, these reluctant secessionists who were, I mean, they weren't, they weren't on board with this idea. Virginia had rejected secession two to one. They were not on board with it. And, and Seward was trying to court those people and say, look, we're not going to have slavery be an issue. Slavery is, is protected. Mason, who was this Virginia representative, was saying, no, it's not, it's not just about the states. It's about the territories. It's about the, it's about the legal issue, the constitutional issue, the long-standing constitutional issues that are at the forefront of what this debate and this issue and this potential breakup of the union, all these things. It's what it's really about. And if you want a clear example of that, if you want concrete proof that that was the issue, you have to look no further than the Confederate Constitution of 1861, which expressly, expressly removed the possibility of the general welfare. They removed the general welfare clause from the preamble and from Article 1, Section 8. They removed it. There's no longer a general welfare clause. It's gone. They made it expressly against the law to have federally funded internal improvements. Protective tariffs were prohibited. So if this issue was all about slavery, the entire Confederate Constitution should have been loaded with references to slavery, uh, should have been loaded Actually, what they should have done is adopted the U.S. Constitution wholesale and just say, okay, we're just going to make the changes that protect slavery. Now, they do use the word slaves and slavery in the Confederate Constitution in contrast to the U.S. Constitution, which doesn't use that particular word. But the protections for slaves and slavery, slaveholders and slavery in the Confederate Constitution, are no different than are the protections in the U.S. Constitution. This is an important point to make as well. They are no different in the Confederate Constitution than they are in the U.S. Constitution. The Confederate Constitution does say, essentially, uh, expressly, that the Confederate Congress cannot abolish slavery. The U.S. Constitution can't abolish, the, the, the Congress can't abolish slavery in the U.S. Constitution either. It's just expressly said in the Confederate Constitution, but everyone knew this was the case in the U.S. Constitution. It's just why they kept saying there needs to be some type of amendment to do it. The North recognized this. It's why you had the 13th Amendment, recognizing the, the not the original, but the ultimate, the adopted, the ratified 13th Amendment, because the Republicans knew they couldn't abolish slavery without it. Everyone knew this. And this is where I had a, a moron on social media uh, say that Southerners, and, and bringing up all these uh, different statements that Southerners made, he didn't understand the difference between a territory and a state. 
the territories and the states were two different matters. Southerners were not, uh, they were fully aware that the Congress could not abolish slavery in the states. They were fully aware of this. And they never argued that the states could not abolish slavery. They never argued that Massachusetts, for example, could not abolish slavery. They all knew that Massachusetts could, or Michigan, or any other state. South Carolina could abolish slavery if they wanted to. They all knew that. And of course, uh, but the territories were a whole other matter because this was the common property of the United States. And this became a constant. What is, what is the meaning of the Fifth Amendment, for example? They believed that the Supreme Court had ruled on the issue, that the Fifth Amendment protected slave property in the territories, and the North was continually agitating. They also had a problem, of course, with personal liberty laws because they said that violated the Constitution because the Fugitive Slave Clause is in the Constitution. Now, the Supreme Court, and this was actually the, the, the Tawny Court, the Tawny Court uh, ruled that the states did not have to provide resources to round up fugitive slaves. This is non-commandeering, that the federal marshals were allowed to go into the states and round up fugitive slaves, but the states didn't have to provide any resources, manpower, money, to enforce that particular law. This was a federal law, and under the direction of the federal government, and under the purview of the federal government, and therefore the states were not responsible for it. This is a very powerful and important Supreme Court ruling to this day, because states are still under the non-commandeering principle, meaning that the federal government can pass a law, for example. They could pass a law, and they have, saying that uh, uh, drugs are illegal. The states don't have to enforce it with their own resources. The federal government could come, could send in their DEA or federal police agents, whatever it is, marshals, to, to enforce the law, but the states don't have to do anything about it. They don't, have to, they don't have to enforce these particular laws. And so that non-commandeering principle is very important. Now, the South was not very happy about the fact that these states were essentially obstructing. But this is the Supreme Court, which was essentially dominated by what became known as a pro-Southern chief justice. And there were Southerners on that court. So the issue was not necessarily slavery and the protection of slavery where it already existed, but the, the principle. And oh look, there were, there were uh, not more than four dozen slaves in the entire Western territories, and only about two dozen of these were actually resident slaves in those territories in 1860. You're talking about a minuscule number of slaves. And... Southerners understood this. It was about principle. And if the, if the Congress, the Republican Congress, is willing to violate the Constitution, in their mind, they're willing to violate the Constitution for this, what else are they going to violate the Constitution to do? And it wouldn't be slavery in the states. They, they understood that was not going to be touched. Lincoln himself said, we're not going to touch it. Lincoln himself said in 1865, in January of 1865, if you Southerners will just come back in the Union, you can vote down the 13th Amendment. In other words, you can keep slavery, or we can postpone it for 20 or 30 years. No big deal. Just come back in the Union. In other words, the war is not about slavery. <laughs> but Southerners wanted independence because they wanted their own government. 
they looked at a long-standing train of abuses and usurpations, as they called it in the Declaration in, in 1776. And that's also important, because these long-standing abuses and usurpations, in their mind, created a climate that was hostile to the South. They were a permanent sectional minority. Calhoun knew this when he argued that if we don't start embracing internal improvements, if we don't start embracing Henry Clay's American system, essentially, the, the jig is up. We're going to lose. We're going to become a permanent political minority. So we have to decide what we want to do. Calhoun was interested at one point in a, a situation where the South would adopt these at least at least support for federally funded internal improvements because he wanted to ensure the West sided with the South. The West was always the key. If you can get the West to side with the South, well, then you can control the government. And these Westerners are farmers. And Westerners realized that particular position once the war was over, when slavery is abolished, these Westerners started siding with Southerners again and trying to resist New England and the Northeast and the big financial houses. The populist movement was a reaction to the fact that the North won the war because that northern Hamiltonian economy, banks, tariffs, the fusion of banking commerce, finance, and government, all of that took place, and the populace said, ooh, wait a second here, maybe we cut the wrong deal. So you have to look at everything in the long position. Now, let me talk about, and I mentioned the Declaration. You see, now that the war is over, the North can decide how they want to interpret the war, and they can make it a righteous cause because they understood that no one would really support, long-term, a war simply to keep the states in the Union. If that was the only thing they could point to, well, look, we saved the Union. If that was it, then history would not be so kind to the Lincoln administration, would not be so kind to the Republican Party. They understood that there had to be something else. They had to make it a righteous cause. They had to do this, because if they don't, if they don't, then history would condemn the slaughter of a million men for a simple political union. This would have been a major act of aggression for no purpose whatsoever than simply money and power, which was always the reason why the Union was, quote-unquote, saved. The byproduct of that was emancipation. Europeans understood this. If you go back and look at the European press, Charles Dickens understood this. People were saying, everyone knows that this is not about slaves. This is all about power. It's all about money. Everyone knows this. Slavery was... Ending slavery was an effect of the war, but not a cause. And so the historians had to do something. Northerners had to do something to make their cause seem right. It's just like in World War II. Uh, well, it's great that we knocked out Hitler, but the other thing is we ended the Holocaust. We, 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 we liberated uh, the concentration camps. We did these things to make the war, to make the slaughter of millions of people worth it, right? And it was not to say that knocking out Hitler and Mussolini and the, and the totalitarian dictators is not a good thing, but we left one in Stalin, and of course that produced the Cold War. And we had totalitarian dictators all over the world, 
that were buddies with the United States. We didn't knock them out. We didn't knock out the Perones in Argentina, for example. Nope, because, well, they weren't necessarily against us. Uh, we didn't knock, about, knock out the dictator of Chile. Anyone that supported us, any thug, we didn't knock them out because they were pro-U.S. And while Stalin was, was pro-U.S., we weren't going to take him out either. You see, so it wasn't necessarily a war against totalitarianism. It was a war to save the British. And uh, that's the issue there. So it, it's we can look at it and they say, but you know, the good thing is we helped uh, the Jewish people in Europe. And this is a great thing. We helped those people in Europe. But that was not the reason why the United States went into World War II. It was an effect of World War II, and a good effect of World War II, just like ending slavery was a good effect of the war for Southern independence. But that wasn't the cause. No one went into World War II saying, we're going to go into World War II because we're going to liberate concentration camps. We're going to save uh, the displaced persons and the Jewish people and everyone that, that Hitler is abusing. We're, nobody did that. Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't an issue going into the war. And so historians had to come up with some reason to justify this. The Republicans had to come up with some reason to justify this thing. And it just happened to be that, well, look at this. It's a righteous cause to forge a new union. This, this phrase was then made during Reconstruction. We can actually create something entirely new out of this. And isn't that going to be good? Now, I'm going to put this within context of the 18th century. Because, you see, the American states secede from the British Empire in 1776. Everyone knows this. Everyone understands this happened. Not more than six months before this, seven months or so, the royal governor of Virginia, Lord Dunmore, issued an emancipation proclamation. November 7, 1775, John Murray, who is the Lord Dunmore, Royal Governor of Virginia, issues an Emancipation Proclamation that says, if you support the cause, it doesn't matter if you're a loyalist or a patriot, we will. F you are free. If you are a slave, you are free. Simply come to my aid, and you are free. Now, less than a month later, the Continental Congress not the state of Virginia, which also <laughs> said, this is, this is ludicrous. If you leave, you're going to be executed if you're a slave, because this was slave insurrection. But not, not Virginia. Virginia had said that. But it wasn't just Virginia. The Continental Congress recommended, the Continental Congress includes Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, now of course New York, New Jersey, those all these states had slaves, by the way. But it has these it has New England in it. The Continental Congress urges Virginia to resist Lord Dunmore's proclamation, quote, to the utmost. Does that mean that the American War for Independence was a war for slavery? Was a war to preserve slavery? Because clearly the British are saying this is a war now against slavery. 
1775, and it wasn't just in 1775. Four years later, in June of 1779, General Henry Clinton issued another proclamation. It's called the Phillipsburg Proclamation. This proclamation was issued in New York and said that any slaves in the United States belonging to American patriots, not loyalists, <laughs> but patriots, those who were supporting the cause. He's issuing this not in Virginia, not in South Carolina, not in Georgia, not in Maryland. He's issuing it in New York. Now, of course, there were slaves in New York at the time. Any slaves from American patriots willing to support the cause, regardless... Actually, he says, you know, the, the proclamation is clear, regardless of whether they fight or not, are free. It promised protection. So, here is another Emancipation Proclamation coming from the British in New York, saying that we're fighting now to end slavery. And in fact, it was very successful. Thousands Thousands of slaves fled all over the United States. And 3,000 slaves were sent to Nova Scotia at the war's end. In fact, George Washington was highly upset about this. He demanded that these slaves be returned, and the British ignored his demand and sent these slaves out of New York anyways into, into Canada. Some went on to uh, Sierra Leone, um, uh, where they uh, established uh, Freetown. Uh, so this was part of that process of these West African nations, which became, uh, which were founded because of, of uh, former American slaves. Um, Liberia is the American version of that. But you have George Washington saying, no, you need to return our slaves, and the British said, no, we're not doing it. So was George Washington fighting for slavery? Was Thomas Jefferson fighting for slavery? Was George Clinton who was the, one of the leaders in New York politics fighting for slavery. How about John Adams? Was he fighting for slavery? Because the Continental Congress said this should be resisted. So were all these members of the Continental Congress fighting for slavery? The British said they were. Did the Americans say they were? No. We go back and look at it and say, these guys are fighting for liberty. They're fighting for independence. They're fighting for self-determination. You can't say it was about slavery. Well, the British did. Why are we giving the Americans and the American War for Independence a free pass on this? The British have ended slavery. The British have ended slavery. But the Americans, well, they're to resist it to the utmost, as the Continental Congress said. So was slavery a cause of the war? I mean, 1775, this is before the Declaration of Independence is, is written, in November of 1775, so was that a cause for, the, for Jefferson wanting to leave the British Empire? Was it a cause for Massachusetts wanting to leave the British Empire? Because emancipation is now a stated aim of the British before the Declaration. <laughs> now, we know that we've already had hostilities in New England, but not in Virginia. We haven't had any in Virginia. We've had them in New England. So is this why the American states formed? Is this why they left the British Empire? Because they wanted to protect slavery? 
we never look at it that way. We look at it as a cause for self-determination. But the evidence is clearly, without slavery, there's no Virginia joining the cause. We know this is not true. We know this is not true at all. We know there were long-standing abuses and usurpations that led to the Declaration. We know there were long-standing abuses and usurpations that led to the cause for independence throughout the American states. Why are the American states in 1776 given a free pass, which all the states had slavery, but yet in the South, they're not? Now you could say, well, Dr. McClanahan, these states never said they were there to protect slavery. These, these, these states never issued anything like that like they did in the South. That's true. But we know that this was immediate. And we also know that there were long-standing issues, and we know that Southerners had had problems with the North and North with the South, and we know all these things led up to the war. So to say that without slavery there's no war, no, no. Without Lincoln there's no war. Without Lincoln deciding to invade the South to keep the Union intact, there's no war. Slavery was simply an issue in a broader context of conflict that had been going on since the 18th century, or you could even say since the 17th century, in a dispute between the North and the South, culturally, politically, economically. It had been brewing for a long, a long time, and we also know that the first states to threaten secession and actually pursue it were in New England, not the South, because they saw themselves at that time as a permanent political minority. You see, it was always about political power. It was never about slavery. It was about political power. So you, you can take these secession declarations and these declaration of causes and all these things, and you have to put them within context of the long process of American history, the long view of American history. What led to it? It was a constitutional legal crisis over power. Who would have it? Who would exercise it? Who would control the government? When either, when either section, the North or South, were threatened as a potential permanent political minority, both sections threatened slavery. It's just that the South pulled it off. So there's my response to the question. Without slavery, there's no war. No, no. Without Lincoln, there's no war. In fact, we didn't have war before Lincoln. James Buchanan, there was no war. You had seven southern states out of the Union, and James Buchanan, there was no war during that period of time. Didn't have to have war. In fact, maybe the Union could have been saved had someone was a little better statesmen been in power. But we got Lincoln and we got war. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClain Show. <laughs>